Binge the full week of The Ray Taylor Show ad-free over at InspiredDisorder.com slash plus. This is The Ray Taylor Show. Severance, season one, episode seven, Defiant Jazz is the episode I'm going to be talking about. I will be breaking down. I will be spoiling. So if you have not watched the show Severance, if you have not watched episode seven, and don't want to be spoiled, I suggest skipping this show, this episode, and uh, doing so. And if you don't mind, maybe this is how you want to consume it. You know, that's fine too. But I want you to be warned that there are going to be spoilers. Because I talk about every nook and cranny of every single episode. And I talk about things. Because it's a very mysterious show. There's a lot of unanswered questions. Sometimes we get answers here and there, trickle in. And, uh, you know, I just want to make sure. I want to make sure you're not getting sideswiped, blindsided by a lot of spoilers, which this show is. So let's get it started, shall we? With season season one, episode seven, Defiant Jazz. Uh, as we left in the last episode, Mark, in the middle of the night, heads to the college, the Gans College, to meet with Rigabi, uh, the person who was trying to call Petey on his cell phone, and uh, Mark, his Audi, trying to get more answers, trying to understand more about what's going on. Uh, he is at the college. He meets with Rigabi, trying to find out who she is. Uh, she asks him to follow her, and they go down deep into the Gans College, which seems to be abandoned. It could just be off uh, time maybe it's uh, during winter break or whatever uh, or it could just be part of the college that is shut down but it does seem to be a bit abandoned uh, and uh, they're going down deep into the depths of Gans College which you know similarly to Lumen they're the whole severance aspect of Lumen is down underground uh, so maybe there's just some uh, similarities with that uh, but Mark finds out that she is the one who installed Mark's chip. Uh, she also mentions that uh, Petey wouldn't be dead if he actually followed the post-op protocol and didn't just run away from, uh, from things when he got sick. Very similar type of uh, an issue, you know, similarities to Mark as him running away from his wife dying getting severed instead of dealing with the the actual trauma of losing his wife uh so in in some ways mark and and, and pd have that in common running away uh from situations uh but we find out that ragabi installed mark's chip and she's the only one that can deactivate it supposedly uh, but we do we go uh and uh they go to a a room that's full of potential medical equipment and they're talking about Mark's innie and uh, she's explaining to Mark just kind of uh, the just kind of clarifying the reality that is having your self split into two people and uh, commenting on the reality of the innies. Uh, so let's play that clip real quick. Maybe I don't want it deactivated. Right. Well, maybe your innie does. You wonder what he thinks about all this, don't you? You wonder if he's happy. I hate that term, innie. So infantilizing. Then again, you've been severed for two years, right? So your innie really is still just a baby. My innie lives his own life. And as a result, I get to live mine. But he only exists because of you. And for all intents and purposes, he is you do you really think he's different down there combs his hair differently laughs at different jokes maybe he loves it you're right but maybe he doesn't maybe he dreams every day about clawing his way to the surface but you wouldn't know you'll never know you brought him into this world without his permission, based on your own desire for emotional convenience. I'm not a bad person. 
I think you want to do what's right. Both of you. Kind of an interesting statement. One, referring to his Innie having only been there for two years as being just a baby, uh, which is clear, which is kind of interesting, kind of saying, kind of telling that, one, that people who are severed are probably severed for a lot longer than two years. The people that have experienced it, uh, that there are people that, and it's been a long, long enough uh, to where there are people who have experienced it and are probably in the different stages of uh, being severed in a way that uh, they are more mature. At least that version of them is more mature, which I mentioned earlier on in the series, uh, how Dylan and also Heli have more of an adolescent type of a humor to things when it comes to being severed within their innies in general kind of goofing off not really taking things seriously and how that might be a, in reference to how long they've been severed since they are in a lot of ways reborn in a way even the imagery of how they are reborn into lumen as severed beings laying on that table uh the imagery of that top down shot of them of heli laying on the table as the speaker box which is almost like the umbilical cord connecting them to their first uh pieces of informational nutrition so kind of interesting also telling how that the the your any isn't so much different than you and also how maybe they're both simultaneously trying to understand what's going on uh, which I don't know how Rigabi would know, but clearly we've seen Mark's Innie reading Rickon's book, uh, trying to find out what's going on at Lumen, trying to recruit the other people that are not only within his department, but the people in O&D to try and team up to find out and investigate what they're actually doing there, what Lumen is all about. Uh, and then also at the same time, simultaneously, Mark's Audi uh, falling falling victim to information given by Petey and kind of getting into his own rabbit hole on the outside. So very interesting. Uh, and just as they, she says that, uh, Grainer shows up, but shows up like down the hallway so he can see Mark but can't see Rigabi, uh, but knows that Mark's talking to somebody and he's trying to convince mark like hey we work together uh but just as he does that ragabi hits him with a baseball bat she ends up killing grainer crazy like that kind of tells you the stakes that that they are at as far as the resistance is concerned with people trying to get out of lumen to try and become unsevered to reintegrate uh that killing grainer is the the level that they will be that they will go to 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 push this kind of uh, to get people out so kind of shows the stakes that they're at where you didn't really know right how casual is it how is it like is it more of just us like just experimenting to see if they can do it or is it a, a legitimate movement where real things are happening uh either way she kills him. She's like, tells Mark what to do. Obviously, Mark's stunned. Mark is traumatized from this. Uh, she gives Mark Grainer's security card. He's like, here, take this, smuggle this in. When you go to work, your any will know what to do. Which I don't know if she has access to Lumen in any way. To Maybe she has access to the security cameras to know that Mark's any is also you know making steps to find out what is going on there or maybe it's just something where she's experienced enough people whose Audis are trying to figure things out that simultaneously she knows that their innies are doing the same thing maybe it's just something where she just has experience and knows either way she gives them the the card to smuggle in 
Uh, she tells him to, when he gets home, get rid of your clothes, get rid of the evidence. She'll take care of it. She'll take care of Petey's phone, all that stuff. Uh, so when Mark gets home, obviously, when he left, Alexa was still in bed when he left after their date. Um, but he gets home, puts his clothes in the trash, into a trash bag, ties it up, puts it under the cabinet. Uh, and then Alexa is comes into the kitchen. She's been awake for an hour. Uh, Mark trying to play it off like he just got up in the middle of the night, uh, but also not really wanting to divulge what he's been doing. Uh, tells her that he went on a drive because he's still not really over his wife, which is true. Uh, they did talk about his wife uh, on their date. He opened up about it. Uh, and he is clearly still not over it. He has not done anything to really... That was why he got severed, to kind of run away from that trauma of losing his wife. Uh, but Alexa, trying to just be supportive, asking if she should go, uh, asking if he's okay. Mark, obviously not okay for not only the reasons that of him losing his wife, but also the fact that he just saw... Somebody he supposedly worked with, we'd never had no idea who Grainer was, but he saw somebody get murdered right in front of him. Uh, and it's a, a crazy thing, and he's not okay, and he definitely would like her to go. Not only for his well-being, but also for her safety, because who knows. So she leaves. Next morning, Mark wakes up. He sees the security card on the counter, uh, gets ready for work, and goes and throws the trash out, throws his clothes out. Can't really fit it in the trash can. Meanwhile, Selve comes out and sees him trying to smash his trash can down. And she is so on point with observing everything Mark does on the outside. She's like, usually you, you, you bring the trash out in the, the early evenings. The night before, you're not really doing it now. So she notices that Mark's routine is off in, in some way. It doesn't really lead to anything, but she does notice it. Uh, and she invites Mark over. Like Mark says, oh, I, you know, didn't really sleep well, whatever. Mark's continued issues of not really doing well because of everything going on and not dealing with his wife wife's death and Selvig being how just kind of she's how she's such a different person definitely more caring definitely a little bit eccentric invites him like to to drink lavender tea with her sometime uh and she makes a comment because it's snowing the jack frost needs some new dandruff shampoo like a goofy person which is the complete opposite of the person she is while she's being Cobell, while she is within Lumen. So it's such a weird contrast to see that. Meanwhile, cut back to inside Lumen. Milchik is sh showed up early. He's testing this new door that, that shuts in the MDR department because they've been colluding with the O&D department. You know, putting his badge in, making sure it opens and closes from both sides. Probably, one, to just test and make sure, but also probably to make sure that he can get in and out when he wants to. Because I would imagine that a business that is so controlling of their mice in a maze uh, that he is on some level concerned with him becoming one of the mice as well. I would imagine. Uh, but he's testing the door. Uh, he goes into the bathroom where Dylan said he hid that ideograph card. He finds it behind one of the toilets. Uh, he is there when uh, he's there when Dylan shows up. Actually, he takes the card after finding it in the bathroom, returns it to Bert, goes to the O&D department, returns it to Bert, and they have a little back and forth. Uh, final preparations for something uh, are going to be done. There's like an event potentially later. Uh, something's going to happen. Um, and we find out that Bert had been in the break room the previous day. 
clearly being punished for the fact that they were, you know, with, they got busted inside that back room of O&D with the MDR department, and he had been punished along with Mark. So, presumably, the break room has multiple rooms because Mark had been punished as well, which we find out when Mark shows up later on. But uh, we found out that Bert had been punished uh, the day before. Uh, so Milchick goes back to the elevator and uh, greets Dylan as Dylan shows up. Dylan's first question, obviously, the last time his innie was awake was he was awakened inside of his closet. He got to see his son. The first time his innie has ever experienced a reality that was not inside Lumen. He got to see all of his hypothesizing and fantasies about what his Audi does and what his life is like on the outside. He got some answers finally. He got to see the clothes that were in his closet. He got to see this kid that he assumes is his son because he said daddy. Uh, so his first question is trying to find out if that was his son. And of course, Milchik's not going to answer it. Uh, Dylan asks what happened. Uh, Milchik explains that it is, it's the procedure is called an overtime contingency where they're able to wake people up if necessary outside. And he tells Dylan to not mention OTC, the overtime contingency, to the other people. Obviously, he doesn't want any of that to get out. Um, and as they approach the door, the new door to the MDR department, Milchik tries to appease and silence Dylan by telling him that he'll give him some special perks, potentially give him some special perks uh, for keeping quiet, for being on his team. Like, Milchik is really trying to do some kind of just trying to calm everybody down because everybody, all of the innies are on a path. There is some momentum going. And it's not like momentum at a regular job where they have the experience of going home, it is like their innies were at O&D planning to find out what Lumen's all about, to find out what's going on, what all the different departments are doing. They got busted. Bert and Mark, break room. Dylan assumingly went home for the day, woken up for a moment to be interrogated by Milchik in his closet. And then woke up again at work. So there's no break. There's no cool down for the innies. Right? When they start to form, when they start to unionize in a lot of ways, um, it is very important for Milchik and the people in charge to, to dampen that momentum as quickly as possible. Let's take a little break from the Ray Taylor Show to promote my live art streams. That's right. I am an artist as well as a podcaster, and I paint live every Thursday at 4.20 Pacific Time. Head on over, the best place ever for streaming, youtube.com slash inspired disorder. That's right. Every Thursday at 4.20, you can watch me paint the many faces. Every week, I paint seven new faces of abstract portraits ink on paper and you can watch that happen you can hang out with me while i listen to a classic episode from one of my favorite podcasts head on over to youtube.com slash inspired disorder and check it out say hi let's hang out let's have some fun let's paint some faces now let's get back to the show so cut to mark uh is at the locker room going in about to go into the elevator once again looking at the card, clearly nervous about smuggling this security card in uh, to through the elevator. And, of course, Milchik is there when Mark arrives. Uh, Mark's innie shows up. 
and uh, asks if he's going back to kind of alludes to going back to the break room and Milchik's like, no, nah, we're not. We're doing something different. Uh, and he's ex escorts Mark to his desk, uh, obviously seeing the new door on the way to his desk. Uh, he says, Mark says hello to the whole crew who's already there. Helly and Irving and Dylan who are already there. Dylan obviously not very happy. Uh, Milchick goes and serves Mark coffee. Right, it's very, very different Milchick currently trying to, trying to, you know, deal with everything. And Milchick leaves. And as Milchick leaves, uh, he calls Cobell. Uh, because Grainer is a no-show. He did not show up. Uh, and she hasn't shown up yet either. Cut to the reason why Cobell hasn't shown up yet. Because she is showing Devin, Mark's sister, how to breastfeed her new child. She is the new lactation specialist for Devin and Rickon. And uh, that is where Selvig is at, giving her a little demo, showing her how to do it. Uh, cut to them bonding, you know, again, Selvig being a funny, joyful, warm-hearted person. Uh, you know, mentioning the shop, like Devin's like, I don't want to keep you from work and keep you from going to your shop. And, and uh, you know, Selvig is like, don't worry about it. Tells her like a funny story or whatever. And then... Uh, Devin opens up to Selvig about the par her park experience the previous day where her uh, retreat neighbor didn't recognize her. And she had the same theory that I hypothesized in the last episode, which was that maybe the severed procedure isn't only used for lumen isn't only used for people going into work that maybe it is also used for people who are giving birth so even though i have seen this show i am not recalling things that i know are going to happen i am trying to just hypothesize based on what we've what i've seen up to this point and dissecting it Obviously, I know kind of where this, this season's going, but I'm making a point not to spoil anything. And I completely forgot that she even had I hypothesized that as well. I thought I was having a completely original thought in the last episode uh, based on just the fact that we're in a world where that technology exists and what are the other applications for that technology. Obviously, if you have money and you're connected like this woman's husband is, uh, being a politician who's pro-severed, the severed procedure, why wouldn't you use it? And it would also make sense why she didn't recognize anything. Uh, but of course, Selvig just dismisses it. And she asks Mark, she asks Devin how Mark's doing uh, with, you know, his wife passing. She even asks if he ever sees her, like, you know, thinks he sees her anywhere. Obviously, you know, poking around interesting questions at least Devin kind of like raises an eyebrow it seemed like a, an interesting question cut to Irving back in Lumen Irving approaching Mark talking about why aren't the soap dispensers labeled in the bathroom uh, Dylan obviously telling that's knowing how ridiculous why would they why would they label the soap in the bathroom what else would it be Irving but, of course, Irving only brings it up in order to formulate some excuse for him to go to see Bert one more time in O&D. Because he's concerned. He doesn't know what happened to Bert after they got busted by Milchik. And Irving, being Irving, always by the book, having to come up with some ridiculous excuse. Uh, but, uh, you know, a legitimate excuse, at least in his mind, uh, to go see to go see uh, Bert, but Mark says, Mark's wise to his, what he's trying to do. Dylan's angry. You know, it's like, this wouldn't have happened if you, if, if you didn't, you know, start all this stuff. If you didn't start mingling the departments, Irving, and bringing us in there, none of this would be, ha would be happening. 
Uh, Milchik shows up with a cart that has a record player on it and uh, some vinyl. And apparently this is the music dance experience, uh, which is the which is the uh, the prize for getting 75 percent of the incentive for getting 75 percent of the work done. Uh, it's a five minute experience. And of course, Irving being as by the book as possible brings up that Helly isn't actually 75 percent. She's only 73 percent. She's like, come on, Irving. Like, Irving, so, such a stickler for every detail uh, having to be by the book. But, uh, you know, Milchik is in this mode of trying to get everybody to, trying to pacify everybody in every way possible. Uh, and Helly, because she has achieved this, this milestone, is able is able to choose one genre of music and one instrument. She chooses the maraca, and of course, as the title of the show, she chooses defiant jazz, uh, in which Milchik, you know, puts it on. They start dancing. Everybody but Dylan starts dancing. Even Mark starts to groove a little bit, Irving a little bit. They turn the lights on to like flash different colors. You know, it's it, it, it's about as cheesy of a corporate type of a music dance experience as you would expect. And while dancing, Mark notices the security card in his pocket. Um, Milchik starts dancing behind Dylan. Dylan seeing Milchik in the reflection of his screen, clearly pissed, very angry. No answers were given. And the way Milchik is dancing behind Dylan is almost trying to provoke. Right? Trying to... It's like, if you're ever in that situation where people are, like, having fun and you are not in the mood to have fun and they're trying to rub the fun in your face, it only makes you have less fun. And it gets to a point where Dylan attacks Milchik. He stands up, pushes him back into the cart. They fall over, and then he bites Milchik's arm. Everybody pulls Dylan off, and there's a moment we see Dylan, who's clearly just had enough, right? Obviously. Attacked Milchik. He bit him. Milchik's wearing this, like, Long sleeves, sweatshirt, white, blood soaked through because he broke the skin. And let's play this clip real quick. He broke the skin. He needs a full tetanus toxoid panel. You've done it now, Dylan. I'm reporting this to Miss Cobell. Yeah, you want to go see her together? The music dance experience is officially canceled. The look in Milchik's face when Dylan kind of stands up to him like, oh, you want to go? You want to go talk to Cobell together? Like, you can, you can see the kind of the fear that Milchik is starting to have, right? And when Dylan took him down, he was like, what's my son's name? Like, it's clearly like that... Milchik messed up, right? Telling his kid to just count to a thousand was clearly not the best way to keep that kid out of that situation. And the unintended ramifications of Dylan finding out that he has a son on the outside, a guy who has done nothing but fantasize about what his reality is on the outside, fantasize about what the numbers are about his brain is creatively coming up with all of the answers that they're to the the giant blank spot that is his audi's existence that is the existence outside of severance and now he's gotten one of the answers and it's just just the little bit the little bit he needed 
and he's like, he's done. He's fed up with it, as most people are starting to become fed up with. So Mark asks what's wrong, obviously, and Dylan comes clean, tells him, they can wake you up outside. I saw my son. So now I have to come into this place every day. Not even, I not come into this place. I have to exist in this place for the rest of my existence as this version of myself, knowing that I have a child on the outside that I will never get to experience. And Helly is all about this. She's like, well, we need to figure out how to wake ourselves up outside. Uh, Mark lets them know that he has the security card. Like, things are kind of falling into place at this point, right? Helly, Helly's been trying to, to, to get out of this situation from the start. Mark is starting to wake up to the fact that the situation inside Lumen isn't good. Dylan is now not only like okay with the other department, doesn't think that they're going to kill him, but also has this added incentive, more than a finger trap, he has this incentive to know more about his son and his life outside. And then after Mark shows, they you know, ask, how does your Audi get Grainer's security card? Now, of course, they don't know what happened to Grainer yet. They don't know any about that. It's just a weird, it's just one of those, it, they don't know. You know, Mark, after being in the break room, went home for the day. Well, elevator door closed, elevator door to open. And now he's got this card in his pocket. So Heli, it's like, we need to go on a field trip. Irving is scared. He's, he's tentative. He's, he's not really, you know, he's, Irving's Irving, right? He, he's, he's also kind of waking up with this bond to Bert. He's definitely more concerned with Bert than anything. But Bert has opened up Irving in a way, not only just in a way that reinterprets the Bible, which is Egan's handbook, in quoting the older versions of it, in, in, in trying to have him interpret it in more of an open type of a way instead of a literal type of a way. But he's still, he's still scared. Uh, Dylan decides he's going to stay back in the MDR department while they, the other three, go. You know, now that there's this door, they have this card so they can get out of this door. And as soon as they get out the door, Irving books it to go check on Bert, to go see what, what happened to Bert, because that's all he cares about. And uh, so Helly and, and uh, Mark go. Uh, Mark knows where the security room is. Petey told him uh, during a fire that he found it once and showed him where it was. And, uh, which is interesting. Like it's an interesting way for the show to tell you. I mean, it's a very, it's kind of lazy. Like they should have, if I were to go back and tell these writers just a small way for them to explain why Mark knows where the security room is, is to have it on the map that he is drawing. Right? Like, in that moment, Helly and Mark, when they got out, pull out this map, and he's like, here it is. This is where Petey told us it's past the perpetuity wing. This is where the security thing is. And for them to use the map that's been a part of the story. But instead of using the map, which would have made sense, would have added to the, you know, plot-wise, it would have made the map useful... It's just, he just happens to know because Petey told him, which is fine. I'm just, it would have, it would have made more sense and it would have made the map useful. Because at this point, the map is nothing. The map is just, you know, what are they working on the map for? They don't seem to be using it. But either way, Helly and Mark are off to go find the security room. 
they find it, they open it up, just a whole wall of monitors for all the different cameras that are everywhere, all the hallway cameras, elevator cameras, all of that. Then another part of the room is like all of the different, everyone who's severed has their own little little bay. It's like a little drive bay that has like a little dial on it, has their number, I would imagine has their employee number and their name on it. And there's probably, I would say, at least 100 people severed. Just kind of based on, you know, just a rough count of what y- what you can see, a guesstimate is that there's probably about a hundred people severed. And so far we've seen maybe 20. We've seen maybe, you know, 20, 20 to 25% of the total amount of people that are severed and available to be controlled within this security room but very interesting uh mark's looking around heli finds an operational book uh and is flipping through it to find the the otc instructions meanwhile uh cobell shows up one of the monitors shows uh that cobell is descending into lumen that she showed up for work uh mark runs over to confirm on the video camera uh which adds some urgency heli finds the page that uh lists the procedure for operating the overtime uh overtime things was it called overtime uh, contingency, the OTC. Uh, she rips the page out and they leave. Cut to Cobell walking down the hallways and uh, she's met by the woman who communicates with the board. I forget her name, uh, but she is there with her little earpiece in and she says the board is there with her. They want to talk to her. Uh, Cobell finds out that Grainer is dead. And uh, it's an interesting back and forth. Let's play that clip. Harmony, I was looking for you. Um, no, I, was I, I have the board here. Right now, Doug Grainer is dead. What? The board finds this deeply troubling. The board wants to know if you knew he was missing and if you've spoken to the police. Whoever killed Mr. Grainer is probably the same person who reintegrated Peter Kilmer. The board reminds you that reintegration has Reintegration happened. And I have the data to prove it. And I would be happy to share my findings in person without intermediaries. The board agrees. And we'll be available to meet with you at the Egan Family Gala next week to discuss this further. Details to come. I look forward to receiving them. So as shit is hitting the fan... Maybe Cobell had been waiting to, you know, bring the board all of the information on, you know, the reintegration because the board keeps saying it's not possible. Obviously, it is. Uh, There's this event that's supposed to be happening next week, the Egan Gala event. Uh, So that's going to be coming up where she's going to be talking with the board in person, uh, which is interesting as well. So we'll see what happens with that. But it's clearly like, you know, a a lot of things are going to be happening. And it's it's an opportunity, I guess, for Cobell to potentially move up. I don't know. Uh, Either way, interesting back and forth. One of the few times where she doesn't communicate with a quote from the Egan handbook. Uh, Either way, cut to Irving, makes it to the O&D department, uh, and there's a party going on. But cut to back to uh, Dylan, uh, the 
Dylan is there with Mark and Helly as they got back, and he's criticizing how lax the security is, how there was nobody in the security room. Helly mentions that maybe the fact that they pretend that the, the idea of people are watching is what is the most you know effective way to keep them in line. Um, Let's take a little break from the show to promote the many faces. That's right. I am also an artist. I do ink paintings on paper of abstract faces. A new face, a new painting gets released every single day over at InspiredDisorder.com. So head on over to my website to purchase original artwork directly from the artist. Also, there are prints available for select images. Head on over to InspiredDisorder.com, buy original art, buy prints if that's your jam, if you want 8 by 10 prints on high quality paper. Also, if you're looking to wear some art, there are shirts available with original artwork by myself. Select faces from the many faces are also available in t-shirt form. You go to InspiredDisorder.com, you buy original artwork, you buy prints, you buy shirts, you're supporting an artist directly. And if you're the type of person that likes to invest in NFTs, there are also NFTs available for select faces. Go to InspiredDisorder.com now. And now let's get back to the show. They also, uh, Dylan looks at, she's looking at the procedure, pretty basic. Dylan is like, yeah, I, I got this. Like Dylan volunteers to stay behind. That He's going to be the one. It's going to stay behind in the security room and do the procedure uh, while Helly and Mark and presumably Irving as well uh, get uh, woken up on the outside. Uh, and, and Dylan's willing to do this because he's, he says he's, you know, he was already woken up once and they haven't yet, so it's only fair, which is kind of nice. I really love Dylan. Like, he is, not only is he, he funny... Not only is he creative with all of his theories that, that are going out, but also like seeing him stand up to Milchik and seeing that edge that he has on him. I absolutely love uh, Dylan's character. Uh, and him staying there, you know, wanting to be the hero uh, in, in a lot of ways um, to get it done is, is great. And uh, it's not an easy procedure. There are two knobs that have to be turned at the same time which actually made me wonder who was there to do that for Milchik like it's supposedly two switches because it requires two people but if Milchik was woken up uh, Grainer wasn't there Grainer was out investigating going to Gans even even uh, Cobell wasn't there Cobell was dressed up in her her scrubs so who knows was there maybe there's other people that are there that we just don't know uh that are there maybe in the a part-time innies like miss casey uh but you know just as the out of the people that we've been introduced to in the show it's unclear who was the person milchick called to not only start the OTC, but also to to turn it off uh, when he was done. So interesting because it is a situation where Dylan says he'll be able to do it. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. They're on opposite sides of the door. Uh, and Dylan isn't isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily have the the largest wingspan. But uh, he volunteers to do it. Cut to Bert is having a retirement and Irving is there obviously not good news for Irving but that is the purpose of that party uh Milchik notices that Irving is there and uh is kind of like definitely taken back doesn't make it a big deal necessarily but but definitely notes that uh that somehow Irving got out of that that door and is at the thing uh, but they play a video, which is similar to the other person that we never saw, that some other person that left Lumen and, and made a video before they left, unlike Petey. I think her name was like Carol. 
Um, so not the first person to leave, but apparently part of the retirement is them leaving a goodbye video, as it were. Uh, and uh, so we watch a, a video of Bert saying goodbye. Let's play that clip right now. Hello. This is kind of strange, but a lot of things about this job are. You all know that better than me, I'm guessing. And Of course, I don't really know any of you, but the man standing there with you now does. He's worked with you for nearly seven years, and I hope they've been good years. I, I don't know what they've been like or what exactly I or he has been doing with you, but I do know how I feel every day when I come from being with you. I come home feeling tired but fulfilled. I feel satisfied. I must like you very much. And though today is my last day with you, I'm certain you will remain with me in spirit in some deep yet completely inaccessible corner of my mind. The impression you've left on me is indelible. Though I'm unaware of it on a conscious level, and I will never forget any of you. Even though sitting here right now, I have no recollection of actually ever meeting you, no idea of your names, uh, any of your physical characteristics, or even how many of you there are. Anyway, I just want to say thank you all. And Bert, I see you. Congratulations. Good job, buddy. Bon voyage. So clearly, like, pretty much a piece of propaganda, because Bert's Audi has no connection to any of the people, uh, but a statement, and even while doing the statement, mentions how, like, I don't know anything about you, I don't know what you look like, I, it's, but it seems like clearly something that he was told to say in order to make the people feel good about him leaving on some level, even though it's somebody who... It, like it, it feels as genuine as if you've ever worked in a big corporation like getting and it's your like anniversary or whatever working there and you get a letter from like the ceo but it's just a generic letter where they just like filled in your name and even the signature is just like a stamp uh or just printed out like it feels so ungenuine that's what it feels like this video which obviously Irving is not happy with this. Irving's like, like, is this a punishment? Is this because of what, because we all mingled, we, because the MDR department came here? Is this some kind of punishment? You're killing Bert. Like, you're killing this version of Bert. Like, the any of Bert and everything that he exists and the people that are around him will no longer, like, he is going to be dead to Irving's any to all of the innies that work there. Which is something that, like, you don't really see that side of it, especially for somebody who's like Milchik, which Irving calls out Milchik, calling him a smug motherfucker, which there is nothing better than seeing Irving get this edge, standing up to Milchik, falling in the, the following in the footsteps of Dylan following in a lot of ways the footsteps of heli just like okay this is i've had enough of this like your opinion as somebody who's not severed has no idea the ramifications of what you're doing of this person quote-unquote retiring most likely because you don't want you're trying to negate any kind of fraternization or or collusion between the different departments right you're going to get rid of him because you know you don't want any more of this connection to happen and irving is losing like the like a romantic love a connection that he has with bert the the most like t most like affection most the the deepest connection he's had with anybody in the, I think Irving said he's been there seven years. 
I forget how long Bert said he was there, but they were both they've both been there the longest. I think Irving's got the most seniority in MDR, and then Bert obviously has been there a long time. Right? And this is like at least for Irving, the first kind of like real connection he's made with somebody. And now he's losing him. And he calls out Milchik for for being a smug motherfucker. I love that. I was like, oh shit. Oh shit. But regardless, Irving is allowed to stay to say goodbye to his friend. Uh, they play music and everybody kind of gives Bert a goodbye handshake. Uh, Irving being the last of which to give him a goodbye handshake. Uh, and afterwards, uh, Milchik escorts him back to MDR. Irving walking back into MDR, doors closing behind him. First thing he says to everybody, because everybody's there, you know, Mark, Helly, Dylan, they didn't know what happened to him because he just disappeared. First thing Irving says, let's burn this motherfucker to the ground. Well, I don't know if he said motherfucker. Let's burn this place to the ground. It's like the such first Bert calling Milchik a smug motherfucker and then him coming in going like okay i just experienced the last straw this is the tipping point has been found i am 100 percent on your side it is like a, a badass moment cut to mark is drunk He's outside, his Audi, obviously. They don't get alcohol inside, but it's later on that night. Mark is drunk. Obviously, still reeling from what happened the night before, right? Saw somebody die. Had to go to work. Had to go to work. And, of course, as Mark does at the end of every night, drinks his whiskey, usually watching TV. He's not watching TV, but he is drunk. And uh, Alexa shows up. Apparently, she forgot her phone there. Mark had found it uh, and gave it to her. And she notices that Mark is drunk, that he's a mess. Uh, and she she says that he's probably not ready, right? Which is true. I mean, it's true. Mark doesn't want to accept that it's true, as Mark is one to do. He's one to run away from emotional problems. He's one to hide and, and deny the reality of situations. And to prove it, he does the same thing his innie did, which is an interesting aspect to uh, Rigabi saying that uh, his innie and him are, are on probably on the same page. They're the same person, just living two separate realities. And just as his innie tore up Petey's map, to prove to Helly that he wasn't, you know, reeling from that he's over Petey being lost, leaving. He does the exact same thing, tearing up his 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 wife's picture to prove to Alexa that he's not messed up from it. That he's not like we can talk about it all you want if you want. Look, look at this, and then he tears it up. And, of course, she sees right through that, as Helly saw right through him shredding it up. And she leaves. She's And Mark follows her out to her car and, uh, you know, d does not going well for Mark. Clearly, he's got problems. Clearly, that's a common thing for him to do to prove that he's not emotionally attached to uh, the situation anymore. But she leaves, and Mark goes back inside to tape, you know, picks the pictures up, which you want to talk about an accurate performance of somebody drunk. Like, Mark's character, Mark, the way he breathes, 
sounds like somebody who's drunk. Like it is authentic the way, just the way he breathes. Uh, and I appreciated that. I noticed I was like, that is, that is how you would like so many times actors when they're drunk, they just do the, the slurring of speech in a bad way. That's not believable. And they'll do like, you know, kind of the swaying movements. That's kind of, it's not as authentic. And I appreciated what he brought to that drunk performance. Uh, but he's picking up the pieces of his wife's picture that are on the ground, and he's starting to tape them together. And in a moment that reminds, that uh, is reminiscent of the wellness, he starts talking about his wife, the, the aspects of his wife, uh, of why his wife is extraordinary. And my wife is extraordinary, she was allergic to nutmeg. Every time she sneezed, she sneezed twice. My wife liked other people's dogs, like really in the same cadence, the same way in which those facts were read to Irving in a previous episode. Um, my wife liked other people's dogs. Uh, my wife uh, hated cardigans. They sh thought they were ridiculous in all the same ways. And it is perfectly fitting that he said those things in that way because as we see, as he completes taping the picture up, that that picture, his wife, is Miss Casey. And it's a beautiful way they end this episode where you find out that the part-time innie is Mark's late wife, who is apparently not dead. And maybe there's a situation that they're able to sever people who have, maybe there were like severe injuries or brain damage, maybe. Like maybe that is the reason why her innie is so robotic in a lot of ways. Maybe the reason why she's only a part-time innie. Um, so knowing that Miss Casey is Mark's innie, it also raises a bunch of, questions or or answers questions in it seems like Cobell is trying to test is trying to run an experiment on Mark to see if the innies and his innie and Audi share deep memories or emotions with things and that is why she brought that candle in from from Mark's basement and it was lit when Mark went to the to the wellness check that one time uh, and maybe the reason why he wanted Miss Casey to do the wellness check just after Mark went to the funeral of Petey on the outside, maybe trying to connect those emotions together to see if there's any emotional connection between the innie and the outie, right? It, it, it kind of makes a lot of the things in what Cobell did with Miss Casey, how she used Miss Casey... Uh, as a way to, you know, run her own experiments, as it were. So interesting, uh, you know, obviously he doesn't know, his Audi doesn't know that Miss Casey is on the inside, but now as the audience, and they did a really good job in this episode when he tore the picture up. You couldn't see who the picture was of while he's taping the picture up. They do a good job to hide the face. And it's not until the very last scene that we see that the picture of his, his late wife is Miss Casey, who is not dead, but who knows what state of existence she's in. You know, she was in a car accident. I would assume, like, she was taken to a hospital, right? And at the hospital, there's people that work for Lumen. Like, it could be a Lumen hospital, for all we know. I mean, Lumen has... The building, maybe Lumen, the College of Lumen is a recruitment center. Like, who knows how much of that town is run by Lumen and, like, engineered by Lumen. Uh, and maybe one of the applications of the severance process is to restore brain function in some ways. Or maybe her, maybe... 
maybe it's a bigger experiment on Mark. Like maybe she wasn't uh, her. The accident didn't kill her at all. Maybe like they wanted to see how the trauma of lo losing somebody might affect them, or maybe they wanted Mark for another reason, and they used that to potentially coerce Mark into joining Lumen. Like there's, it's clear that they are trying to run experiments on these people, right? Who knows if what they do does anything, but there's clearly experiments going on, and knowing that Miss Casey is somebody that Mark Mark's Audi thinks is dead uh, is part of it, and the fact that she's there it just raises so many more questions. But a huge, huge epiphany at the very end of this. And things are ramping up. Everybody's tired of it. Everybody is sick and tired of Lumen. Everybody inside, all of their innies are really having fires lit under them to really find out and, and expose uh, what's going on. So we'll see what happens in the next episode. Episode 8 uh, of, of Severance, which is there's only two episodes left. Uh, what's for dinner is episode eight. New episodes of the Ray Taylor Show come out every single day. Subscribe on YouTube and everywhere our podcasts are found. Binge the full week over at inspireddisorder.com slash plus. Buy Ray Taylor Show merch over at inspireddisorder.com and follow the show on Instagram at Ray Taylor Show. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Peace. Ouch! Today is the day where you wake up and you realize that everything that you've been dreaming about, everything that you've been wanting, every goal and wish and hope that you've ever had can become real. Dreams can come true. What you manifest in your mind, you can bring to reality.